0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Wenton, California.
1: I want you all to do me a favor and pull out your sermon notes and then just throw them away. (laughs) Much to my surprise, I didn't take advice that I learned in school very easily this morning, and that is to expect the unexpected, and to allow the Holy Spirit to move you where he moves you, and to not answer that call, or to answer or to question what the Lord has in store for you that day. And so this morning, everything has changed. So like I said, throw out your notes, you're not going to need them this morning, because we're going to do something a little different. And those of you at home, you know there's a change, because I already changed it for you, but I didn't change it for y'all. So but I want you to listen this morning. The fourfold name of Jesus. We know there are hundreds of names for Jesus in the Bible. And this morning I want us to kind of focus on a few of those as we begin the celebration of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to ask, does anyone know what an aptronym is? Those of you English majors out there, do you know what an aptronym is? No. Good. I'll teach you. It's actually a compound word consisting of the adjective apt, meaning aptitude And the Greek word for name. So an acronym is when someone's name and occupation line up perfectly. When what they're called describes what they do. So let me give you a couple examples. Dr. Bowser Veterinarian. These are actually actually people. Roy Grout Bricklayer. Dan Druff Barber, Dr. Pullen Dentist, Otto Nogo, he's a mechanic, Dr. Smiley, orthodontist, Sonia Shears, take a guess, hairdresser, Dr. Whitehead, a dermatologist, Dr. Smelzy, podiatrist. And I say this because I was thinking about my mother who's passed on and she had a couple of doctors which are not aptronyms but funny, uh, more the same. She had a podiatrist at the time and his name was actually Fred Krueger, Middle initial E. So we called him Freddy Krueger. She also had a doctor that didn't tend to her too well, and his name was Dr. Quack, but I called him Dr. Quack. But having seen that, we know that many parents spend significant time trying to decide what to name their children. Why is that? Because it's important to us, right? We know that a name is more than just what someone goes by. Some of us are very strategic and specific when it comes to the giving of names. In Old Testament times, a name stood for a person's reputation, their fame, or their glory. Parents often gave children names that described their hopes and their future, maybe expectations regarding that child. The word translated name literally means a mark or a brand. A study of Bible names often reveals much about the personality of the people. For instance, David means beloved. Abraham means father of a multitude. Jacob means deceiver. Isaac implies laughter. Moses means drawn out. And Jesus means Jehovah saves. And all of these people proved that to be true to their name. And today, we're going to zero in on a fourfold name given to Jesus. 700 years before he even was born. And there are, like I said, many, many names in the Bible associated with Jesus and numerous others that are given to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So, if we look at the pinpoint prophecy of Micah chapter chapter 5, verse 2, we see that Jesus would be born in a predestined place. He would fulfill a promised plan, and he would be... A profound person. Isaiah was a contemporary of Micah and he shined more light of what kind of person Jesus would be. His primary purpose was to remind his readers of the spiritual relationship they had with God as his covenant community. The nation had experienced prosperity, but now Assyria was poised to pounce on them. And in the midst of this impending threat, Isaiah gives a number of glorious promises. And we're going to look at one today in chapter 9. We know that Christmas Eve is coming soon. And speaking of Christmas Eve, I've heard a stat that came from LifeWay, And the stat is this, 57% of those who don't go to church would come on Christmas Eve if we only asked them to, if we only asked them to. Keep that in mind as we go along this morning. But I want you to grab your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. So let's kind of set the context this morning, and the original birth announcement was made in the midst of grief, and gloom. So look at verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he was made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Zebulun and Naphtali are tribes from the north Of Israel, and they they made up the land of Galilee. And for many years, the people knew only grief because of the onslaught of the enemies that unleashed their power, and as a result of their sins. And because their tribes were the furthest north, they were, um, well, obviously, they were attacked first. So they saw their fair share of doom and gloom. And Isaiah tells us of a time in the future where gloom will be replaced with gladness in Galilee. And don't miss that about Christmas this year. Don't miss this. Christmas was and is birthed in the middle of great grief. It was middle, it was, there was a lot of turmoil. And while the angels were proclaiming peace on earth, Herod was preparing to annihilate infants. While Mary was worshiping, other mothers were weeping for their children. Friends, Christmas joy is best understood where the junk of life is all around us. It reveals the goodness to us, the gladness that comes even... When we're grieving, verse 2 describes how the birth of Christ will bring brightness to a world of darkness. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shown. So when we come to the New Testament, it's clear that Matthew had this prophecy of Isaiah in mind when he wrote these words in Matthew chapter 4, verse 15. You don't need to turn there. The land of Zebulun and the land of Natalia, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And then, in the next two verses here, he applies this passage to Jesus Christ. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Isaiah 9-4, we read that the enemies of Israel had burdened the people with the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder. So when the light of life comes, the heavy yoke will be shattered. So instead of wiping us out... Jesus says in Matthew 11, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in the place of burdens, God wants to give us blessings. In spite our strife, in spite our grief, in spite our troubles, God wants to bless us. I talked to a friend recently who told me that her shoulders are heavy because of all the burdens That she is carrying. And I smiled and I reminded her that Jesus came to bear our burdens and He's holding the entire world up right now, even as we speak. That's what we need to think of and be reminded that this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not for the glitz and the glam and the lights and everything else. But the fact that even though we struggle, even though there's grief in the world, and there's a lot of it, we have hope. We have a hope in a Savior who loves us, who came to die for us, who came to take away all that in spite of our iniquities, in spite of our sin. He comes to save. Drop down to Isaiah 9 uh, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, a child and a son. Now verse 6 sets forth the indescribable uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And notice that both his humanity and his deity is very evident here. It shines light on both. For us, a child is born, and this describes his birth as a baby, so his humanity as a man. And to us, a son is given. Jesus is God's son, given as a gift. So it shows his humility as a deity. The child was birthed in Bethlehem and the gift of the eternal son is given to us. As Rabbi Zacharias has said, the son wasn't born, the son eternally existed. The child was born, the son was given. And on top of that, the government shall be upon his shoulder. This means that All the expectations of the throne of King David are fulfilled in Christ. The baby bundled in the straw holds the universe together. The one nestled on Mary's shoulders bears everything on his shoulders. He is the Redeemer and Ruler of all. Amen. part of the reason that we've all been inoculated with the incarnation and maybe we're even bored with the baby is because we tend to focus solely on the infant Jesus. The phrase and his name shall be called means he will justly bear this name. So technically all four of these descriptions make up his name and do you see that it's really in the singular here? It's not really four names, but rather it's name. It doesn't say names, it's name. And that's similar to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. It's not fruits of the Spirit, because we can't just pick and choose like it's a buffet. We don't pick and choose what God has blessed us with. Because we know that when we are given those things, it's a whole meal deal. It's all or nothing. But let's look at this fourfold name now as we go through. And I should warn you ahead of time, we might break out into worship. I hope that's okay with you. (laughs) First of all, we need to understand that he is profound. He is profound. He is a wonderful counselor. And this title literally means a wonder of a counselor. And this makes me think of... Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank. Are you familiar with the show? What do they call him? Mr. Wonderful, right? But it makes me think of him. He got his name because of all the deals and investments he's made. And while he may be good and he does a good job, we need to reclaim certain words and use them only in relation to the worth and work of God. We really do. Think of the word awesome. How often do we throw that word around? We overuse it to describe food or a car or the weather or an actor or an athlete. Really? Only God should fill us with a sense of awe. Only God deserves that. If you want to learn more about that, go to Isaiah chapter 6. The word wonderful means full of wonder, glorious, exceptional, astonishing, extraordinary. I listened to a Charles Spurgeon sermon a couple months ago just on that one word. And in Judges chapter 13, the angel of the Lord says, Why do you ask my name seeing if it is wonderful? And then Isaiah 29, Behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. And then later in Psalm 77, You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might amongst the people. The adjective wonderful is coupled with the word counselor. Counselor refers to an advisor or a consultant. And we all know that life is filled with decisions. It's filled with details. But we also know it's filled with disasters. And that's why we need a wonderful counselor. David wrote these words in Psalm 16:7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Another example comes from Isaiah 11, verse 1, which describes a shoot that will come out of the stump of Jesse. And in the very next verse, the Messiah is referred to as having the spirit of counsel and might. What are some elements that make someone a good counselor? Possibly when we're in need... We want a counselor that is available. That's the first step, right? Make sure they're available. One who gives undivided attention. One who is able to provide comfort while remaining confidential. And also someone who can tell us the truth about ourselves while giving us what we need to make changes. So in short, we want someone who... Shows empathy, expertise, and experience. I've recently talked to a fellow seminary alum. His name is John. And um, I wanted to get his input on a couple things, and particularly in this area of being a wonderful counselor, because that is something that he does in his field of work. And he added the words also good listener unconditional love and they also need to be practical and I would certainly describe that as my friend John he's very practical Isaiah 28 29 states he is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom you are never alone when you are alone with Jesus so a question for you do you need wonder In your life, Jesus is heaven's remedy for dullness. So, is Jesus your wonderful counselor? Second thing you need to know He is powerful. God is powerful. He is a mighty God. And this adjective means strong one or powerful, valiant warrior. This title is also used to describe a hero. I don't know about you, but I love the Star Wars series. And there's also a debate amongst people who like those movies of who the true hero is in that saga. Is it Han Solo? Is it Anakin Skywalker? R2-D2? Uh, the new series with uh, Rey? It's all a wonder. I know some of you are looking at me like, what in the world are you saying? That's okay. I only say this to make this point. The adjective mighty literally means the God hero. And Jesus is the hero of this scripture story. David asks the question in Psalm 24, who is this king of glory? The Lord. Strong and mighty. The Lord. Mighty in battle. He is profound in his counsel and he has the power to accomplish what he wills. Not what we will, but what he wills. And this title also tells us that Jesus is not only the Son of God, he is also God the Son. The baby born in the feeding trough is also the King of glory. Or to say it another way, basically the humble carpenter of Nazareth is also the mighty architect of the universe. Jesus didn't beat around the bush with his identity in John chapter 10 when he said, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. And Jesus can manage anything because he is mighty. He healed the lame, the blind, and the sick. He calmed the storm. He brought Lazarus back from the dead. And therefore, he can do the impossible in your life, even right now. He will give you the victory over whatever you're struggling with today. Worship him as your warrior and praise him for his power. Remember the word spoken by the angel to Mary in Luke chapter 1, for nothing is impossible with God. How many of you like the show The Voice? Anyone watch that one? Oh, a few more hands. Okay, good. I don't know if you remember about, I think it was about six or seven years ago now, there was a contestant named Jordan Smith, and on a... A couple of those weeks he sang great is thy faithfulness and this was following the terrorism thing that happened in California here and even though his coach told him to sing a different song he persisted and he sang that song and he also sang another song Mary did you know and apparently the coach had never heard of that song before And it was quite a moment on national television when Jordan began to sing about Jesus. He said, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? And did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? And then he belted out that last lyric. The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Jordan Smith at the time was 22 years old. And he was a born-again Christian who leads worship in his church. I love that he chose christ-centered songs for that competition and one of the other coaches made this statement after he won the competition and he all she could say was all i can think of is god when he sings are we trusting in our own strength or are we ready to make him our mighty god Ray Pritchard writes, As the wonderful counselor, he makes the plans. As the mighty God, he makes the plans work. Thirdly, he is personal. Jesus Christ is personal. He's with the everlasting Father. And when I was growing up, I dealt with a lot of struggles, and God always seemed a little bit distant. To me, I had no problem seeing him as powerful. I just didn't know that he was also personal. I had a sense of awe about him, but I never knew that I could know him personally. Psalm has a big and mighty, and quite honestly, I kind of pictured him as mad at me, and I wouldn't blame him. But in Jesus, He came near. In this third adjective, we see that Jesus is before, above, and beyond time. And this literally means that he lives in the forever. He says in Isaiah 57, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. In other words, he lives forever and he loves like a father. Christ is holy and he is human, dwelling on high while laying in the hay. Jesus is a child and a son, and he is also eternally like a father to us. Some of you are fortunate to have a good father. Some of you were not. And some of you struggle because you do not have a positive father image. As you see the Savior in the stable... Focus on the fact that he is the forever father and he cares for you and he cares with you for you with compassion. Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And if you are a mother with young children, listen to how tender the savior is towards you. Isaiah 40 chapter 11. Chapter 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. All this leads to certain questions we need to ask. Have we put our faith in the everlasting Father? Have we put our faith In the everlasting Father. We also know that He is peaceful. We also know that He is peaceful. He is the Prince of Peace. And this phrase can be translated the Prince who comes and brings peace. A prince in the Bible time was the general of the army and describes leadership and authority. And this title reverberated across the centuries and echoed through the hallways of heaven, finally culminating in an expression of angelic adoration in Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, in the Old Testament, the word shalom is a state of wholeness and harmony and that is intended to Resignate in all relationships. And when used as a greeting, it was a wish for outward freedom and a freedom from disturbance, as well as an inward sense of well being. To a people constantly harassed by enemies, peace was the premier blessing. Peace was the premier blessing. In Numbers chapter 6, God gave Moses these words to use when blessing his people. He says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. My kids will attest to this, but are you aware that a Charlie Brown Christmas has run on national primetime TV? For over 57 years. Even though a school district in Kentucky is censoring all religious references from its production of A Charlie Brown Christmas. Other than that, it has remained unchanged when it was shown on TV. There was a post written, the moment you never noticed in A Charlie Brown Christmas. In a world where the latest and greatest technology is outdated in a matter of seconds, it seems like, social media trends come and go in a matter of days, 50-plus years of anything becomes quite meaningful. And Charlie Brown is best known for his uniquely striped shirt. Linus is most associated with what? His blanket. Thank you, expert. His blanket. More importantly, his security blanket. Yep. Throughout the story of Peanuts, Lucy, Snoopy, Sally, and all others work to no avail to separate Linus from his blanket. And even though his security blanket remains a major source of ridicule, from the otherwise very meaningful and very mature and thoughtful Linus, he simply refuses to give it up until this moment when he simply drops it. And in that climatic scene where Linus shares what Christmas is all about, he drops his security blanket. And I am pretty well convinced that that was on purpose. It was very intentional. Most telling is the specific moment that he drops it. And you can go home and watch it now. But there is a, a specific moment when he drops it. He utters the words, Fear not. Fear not. And looking at it now, it's pretty clear what Charles Schultz was saying, and it's so simple, and it's brilliant. The birth of Jesus separates us from our fear. The birth of Jesus frees us from the habits we are unable or, in most cases, unwilling to break ourselves from. The birth of Jesus allows us to simply drop the false security of what we have been grasping onto so tightly and learn to trust and to cling to him instead. The world of 2022 can be a very scary place. And most of us find ourselves grasping to something temporal for security. Whatever that thing may be, it's all different for all of us. But essentially, 2022 is a world in which it is very difficult for us to fear not. It is difficult for us to fear not. But in the midst of fear and insecurity, this simple cartoon image from 1965 continues to live on. It continues to be an inspiration for us to seek true peace and true security in the one place it has always been and will always be. And that is the place can be found in that manger. We put our trust, we put our security, all of those things, and we drop that fear. Because we know Christ has come to save us. The New Testament describes at least three spheres of peace. It talks about peace with God. And that's the vertical dimension here. It talks about peace of God. That takes place internally. But also peace with others. And that happens horizontally. So Jesus has come to put us back together, as Ephesians 2.14 states, for he himself is our peace. Are you out of sorts with God? Receive the Prince of Peace into your life, and he will make right with things immediately. Amen. Are we all shaken up a little bit on the inside. We need to give all of our anxiety to the Almighty and His unexplained peace yes. will give you calm in the midst of chaos. Yes. Are your relationships with others severed? I am not exempt from this. Are your relationships Strained. Do the hard work of being a peacemaker. Do the hard work of taking those first steps. And then the question becomes, do you know him as your prince of peace? Jesus was named 700 years before he was born. He is profound, He is powerful, He is personal, and He is peaceful. The good news is that we can all experience this right now. The even better news is that there's there's more to come. There's more to come. We get a taste of it today, but all of these titles will be fully realized when he returns to rule and reign over all the earth. Jesus came in the cradle in order to go to the cross. When he comes again, he'll be wearing a crown. Amen. Look at Isaiah 9-7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Luke picks up on this prophecy in the story of Christmas. And he describes the future role of King Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. I love that phrase of Isaiah 9. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word zeal is an intense desire. God is greatly desirous of us to see his plan of redemption accomplished in every single one of us. He has always been zealous. And, And for us A remnant to take him at his word. We see this in Isaiah. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And that phrase, Lord of hosts, means Lord of armies. He has at least three kinds of armies at his disposal. He uses national armies like the Babylonians to accomplish his purposes. He enlists the stars of creation to do his bidding, and he drafts the angelic hosts to do his work. And he unleashes all of his passionate zeal and all of his resources to bring to completion of all his purposes. Here's something really cool. God used all three of these armies to activate his plan that first Christmas. He mobilized the Roman government to call for a census so that Jesus could be birthed in Bethlehem. All part of his plan. He caused the star in heaven to burn bright enough to get the attention of astrologists living hundreds of miles away in another country. All part of his plan. He unleashed an army of angels to announce the good news of the Savior's birth to some shepherds. Like those of you who saw the play, The Stinky Smelly Shepherds, right? Friends, do you realize that God is exceedingly zealous for you? He is exceedingly zealous for you. He loves you beyond what you can even fathom. He has arranged all the details in his intricate plan to deliver you from the bondage of sin. And he is offering you his profound counsel, his powerful character, his personal comfort, and his peaceful countenance. Have you experienced the expressions of Emmanuel? Do you know him personally? See, the most important part of Isaiah 9-6 are the first three words. For to us. For to us. We actually see them repeated. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. You see, the gift of Christ is a personal gift from God to us. Amen. But we also know that a gift requires a response. A gift requires a response. If I put a gift under your tree, you may acknowledge it, you may admire it, you may even thank me for it, but it isn't yours until you open it and take it for yourself. That is what God is calling us to do. That is why God sent the gift of his son all those years ago. So that we have a response. That we open that gift and allow God to bless us. Because we know that Jesus is calling all of us by name. Will you call out to the only name, the only name given under heaven by which you can be saved? Will you be saved? Would you accept that gift? And do you know Him? Will you know Him? That's the message this morning. Seek God. Seek the true purpose of this season. Don't let it just be another year where you go through the motions. Actively seek your gift that was given by God. Open it. Respond to it. Allow God to envelop you with the spirit that it brings. Dave, come and lead us, Dave.
0: I've been worshiping since you mentioned that. Dinosaurs ruled the earth? That's right. Oh, okay. How wonderful it is to begin worshiping in your heart by the spoken word given, a song that has stood the test of my tenure here since introducing it years ago. I would like to have the team come up and play this with us this morning as we close out. You are a holy God. As you leave here today, and I, I do with all the traditional songs that you can sing for the season, but I, I pray that this song sticks More than ever, as we go into the world this week, because it does, it starts with Him. Born in a manger, yet leaving His heavenly realm, He was still a holy God. Yes, He was. And as we lift this song up, let's stand together. And just as musically it's strong, it stands the test of time to just power the lyrics from our hearts. And Lord, we sing this to you this morning. You are a holy God and all.
1: get into the spirit of the season that you will reveal to us the reason for it. The gift you gave so many years ago so that we could join you one day in glory. You sent your son to be born, to live, to die, and then to be resurrected once again, Lord, so that we could be saved too. Thank you that you save us from our sin. Thank you that you love us so much that in spite of our iniquities, you forgive us anyway. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that you will give us this week to tell others about Christ, about his impending birth. And King Jesus, we ask you to come. We ask you to take over, Lord, into Magnify yourself through us, your followers, Lord. We thank you so much for today. And in all things we say and do, let it be an honor to you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Have a great day today.
0: The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wentonchurch.org. ORG.